Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the purpose of this show is to break through belief barriers, to take hard looks at the theories of science and the beliefs of religion, to see whether we can find common ground between these two separate fields of thought. The show is about convergence. It is looking more and more like as we look deeper into scientific theories and some of the unquestioned beliefs and assumptions of both science and religion, we are starting to find a place for mind or consciousness in the world. And with mind comes purpose, order, responsibility, morality, and perhaps even God. Now one reason the topic of quantum theory comes up a lot on this show and elsewhere is because here we have the unquestioned leading theory of physical science showing and telling us that there is a deep connection between mind and the world. Now on the popularity of quantum theory, before the show I plugged in quantum theory into Amazon.com and I got, I got 29,000 hits on book titles and I think that includes all sorts of different um, forms the books come in but the point is that quantum theory is a rich topic. We tend to assume in not thinking about it very much that the world we look out on is independent from us, that it, it exists of hard, massy, billiard bar, ball things. But quantum theory says that this billiard ball universe, this mechanical contraption, does not really exist. Rather, this billiard ball world is a model. It's a picture of reality that is not reflected in what science, or for that matter, spirituality says is really out there. And for those wondering why this might be an important topic, I would say the answer would be because we are part of that world. Our bodies are just as much part of physical reality as anything else. Now today's show title is Henry Stapp and the Mind-Like Reality. Now Henry is a theoretical physicist at the University of California's Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory specializing in the conceptual and mathematical foundations of quantum theory and in particular on the quantum relationship between our streams of conscious experience and the physical processes occurring in our brains. Now, it turns out that Mr. Stapp has some unique features that make him a great guest to cover these topics. And let me give you a little bit more about Henry's background. He did doc doctoral work under the direction of two Nobel laureates, he then later worked with Nobel laureate Wolfgang Pauli, one of the giants of modern physics who, who um, he worked with on parity violations in Zurich. There he also worked on fundamental, of, fundamental problems in quantum theory and wrote the essay entitled Mind, Matter, and Quantum Mechanics, which later developed into a book of the same title published 35 years later. Henry has written over 300 technical papers and mathematical published papers pertinent to foundational issues in quantum theory. Now, if that wasn't enough, 
Henry also worked in Munich with Werner Heisenberg, who we may know is one of the founders of quantum theory as well and the originator of the famous uncertainty principle. His paper, and this is Henry's paper, the, quant the Copenhagen interpretation is widely recognized as a seminal work on the subject. His most recent works focus on the strong influence of quantum processes on the working of the brain and specifically on the fact that quantum theory brings conscious choices by human agents irremovably into the physical theory in a way that directly accounts for the ability of a person's conscious choices to, ca to causally influence the activity in his or her physical brain. As I said, uh, Henry is a perfect guest for this show, and I think we're probably going to get a, a very fresh and highly authoritative perspective on this important concept of quantum theory and consciousness. Uh, Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for being here. And now, now one of your books uh, is entitled The Mindful Universe, and I just finished a draft of, of a recent ebook. I guess you're um, about to publish, entitled The Mind-Like Reality. Now, many people think that questions of consciousness and mind belong to spirituality or religion, not science. How do you react to this position? Well, uh, I think it's absolutely wrong. Uh, it is true that uh, classical mechanics, uh, the mechanics that uh, was developed uh, or stemmed from the work of uh, Newton back in the 17th century, uh, had that property. Mind was completely left out. It was a completely mechanical theory. Uh, uh, but um, uh, basically early in the uh, 20th century, uh, all sorts of experiments started to... Uh, uh, be performed that uh, were absolutely incompatible with that idea. And in order for uh, scientists to um, <clears throat> uh, have some sort of theory to account for, uh, in particular because of the very strange properties that the, the universe seemed to have, uh, uh, according to the experiments, uh, they had to shift uh, their fundamental point of view. Uh, in particular, uh, science, the word science, comes from uh, the stem to know, to know. And uh, knowledge is uh, essentially uh, a mental thing. It resides in our minds. And uh, so science um, shifted at that point to a, from an ontological or a materialist point of view to a, uh, uh, a pragmatic point of view that the purpose of science, uh, from this new point of view, is to uh, understand relationships between our conscious experiences. Uh, for example, uh, Niels Bohr says, in our description of nature, the purpose is not to disclose, disclose the real essence of phenomena, but only to track down, as far as possible, relationships between the multifold aspects of our experience. So the whole point is here, once you're getting in trouble with this materialist view of the universe, uh, the scientists stepped back and said, well, ultimately, science is really about our experiences, about what we know. What we, and uh, from a practical point of view, what we're interested in is how our actions uh, can affect uh, what's going to happen in the future to us uh, in our experiential realm. So fundamentally, uh, there was a fundamental shift in the uh, 
position of the scientists at that point, which brought mind in, in the form of knowledge uh, into the foundational position of the theory. Was there something in the in the um, development of quantum theory? Was there was there one thing in particular that that brought mind into the picture, or was it a gradual sort of uh, development where where eventually the 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 scientists of the early twentieth century came to the conclusion that consciousness had a role in this whole thing? Was was there something in particular? Well, I would think the the, the the particular thing really was uh, uh, a kind of a holistic uh, quality of uh, the phenomena. Uh, one of Niels Bohr, uh, Niels Bohr was one of the principal founders of quantum. One of his favorite, um, or one of his oft-made uh, assertions was, you had to look at the entire experimental situation. Uh, the older point of view, uh, the mechanical processes were essentially local processes. You could understand them kind of in terms of collisions of billiard balls and things that happen at a local level. And uh, the ultimate problem in uh, understanding quantum phenomena is that it seems to have a holistic structure, and you can't understand it in terms of uh, just a local process. Uh, in particular, uh, because of the pragmatic approach, which involves experimenters doing experiments uh, of a certain sort that they perform in order to find out something about the universe in one region, uh, mm -hmm. it seems to instantly affect uh, probabilities uh, uh, in a faraway region occurring at the same time. Now, this is something that just a materialist, uh, a material conception of the universe uh, as it had been understood, was just uh, unable to cope with. So in order to kind of evade and stop worrying about this problem, to uh, evade the problem, uh, the quantum physicists developed a, or adopted this alternative point of view that ultimately all we really have to be, uh, all we are primarily interested in as scientists, this was their viewpoint, uh, is... Uh, how we understand the world in a practical way. In other words, how we understand the relationship between our decisions and what we do in various places with uh, what we observe in various other places. And uh, this non-local action distance uh, was all fundamentally the problem. It gave some sort of a holistic view of the universe that was incompatible with the local ideas that had prevailed uh, in classical mechanics. And uh, so the, uh, this pragmatic point of view allowed you not to, to face head-on this, um, this problem of apparent non-local action at distance and these holistic uh, features, qualities of uh, phenomenon. Yeah, let me, let me set the context a little bit here because we're, we're, we're using some terms that could probably... Uh, help to be defined, and th the term materialistic uh, uh, viewpoint is one of them. And let me let me ask you, uh, Henry, to give a shot first at how you would define the materialistic out outlook first. Go ahead. Well, uh, 
you summarized it yourself when you said a billiard ball universe. Sometimes it's called clockwork universe. Right. You basically imagine the universe to, made of, to be made of material stuff, which has a certain property of enduring and uh, kind of occupying locations and moving around, kind of the uh, in later versions that was kind of a conserved uh, energy that uh, did not suddenly flip from one point to the other, but basically it was a development of this billiard ball type universe. And um, so that um, is probably the best way to think of the material universe. It's made of material stuff of the sort that we kind of intuitively think. Uh, these tables and chairs are made of some substance that uh, doesn't suddenly uh, disappear totally and appear some other place in the universe or uh, so um, it's basically, and more technically, it's the uh, universe that conforms to the uh, the rules of, of classroom mechanics that were uh, started by uh, Isaac Newton and were developed over 200 years into various more refined forms. But they all had this basic property of local causation, uh, things in one place uh, uh, could influence things in other places, but it didn't, uh, it had to be conveyed from the causal region to the uh, effect region by something that was moving uh, ultimately no faster than the speed of light. When the uh, theory developed to its relativistic form, uh, these ideas of how fast the matter could travel uh, became limited to the idea that nothing that could carry a, a causal effect could travel faster than the speed of light. And uh, so, but uh, the and, uh, Einstein's uh, theory, uh, which proclaimed that idea, um, just did not seem to be satisfied. That's the essential reason why Einstein uh, would not, uh, could not go along, basically, with uh, the quantum mechanical ideas, because the basic idea here of a fast and light, no fast and light influence, uh, uh, was not uh, nobody could see how to reconcile it with uh, the uh, the phenomena and quantum theory by switching over from a materialist point of view that everything was made of matter uh, to a uh, uh, to a, a pragmatic view that what we're interested in is relationships between our experiences. Uh, they were able to formulate a rationally coherent scheme that allowed science to be rationally understood as a, as a system of relation, a series of rules that uh, allowed you to make predictions about uh, phenomena that would appear in one place, uh, maybe nearby, maybe far away, uh, on the basis of um, actions that you performed in a second place. And, uh, yeah, well, so yeah well, let, me, let, me, let me just... Give give another put another gloss on that that I think is very important for purposes of sort of understanding quantum theory and that is in the mechanical worldview the the scientific mind assumes that the material object outside of him or herself has an, has an existence that is independent of consciousness and therefore exists outside of any control 
that the mind or consciousness can have. It's sort of like, I, I think the model I have in my mind is like a tinker toy or something where you have a stick with the ball to end, and that ball to end will forever remain independent of mind. And sort of like a specimen, and and there's yeah, that's, that's right. very very good. And right, right, in right. particular, there, yeah. that uh, is uh, implied by the fact that the Newtonian rules and all the rules that followed from them uh, gave uh, causation rules of causation, which just had no reference at all to uh, consciousness. Right. That was essentially the uh, the uh, the primary move of uh, Isaac Newton. Uh, he based his work on the work of Descartes before him, and uh, in Descartes' uh, view of the world, there were you could separate mental things from physical things, and uh, mental things being our experiences, basically, our flows of conscious experiences. And uh, so, whereas Descartes had these two different kinds of things, the mechanical things that you just described, and the material things, and the mental things, and he thought they were somehow connected in in the brains of uh, human beings. Uh, Newton just uh, said, "Let's forget the mind part," and he formulated all of his rules, completely neglecting any sort of mental uh, input or interference. So that's the uh, essential idea. You have this material stuff that, as you are emphasizing, uh, are not influenced by any input from the mind. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, have this property of no fast and light uh, action. So there's kind of the two features here that, that need to be emphasized when we talk about uh, a materialist uh, view of the universe. Yeah, and I think I think that the 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 quantum theory, as as we're as we're going to get into a little bit more here, you know, breaks that separation or shows that there is no absolute separation. But I think one of the the key features of our current mindset is that is that this quantum connectiveness between consciousness and the outer world has not permeated modern society or modern culture and, it, and nor, nor has it completely permeated science and and that's why we have so many books out there on this very topic i mean an example would be the biology of belief by Bruce Lipton, who, by the way, is going to be a guest on this show, I believe, November 6th, the first week of November. And his thing is, is uh, why aren't we applying quantum processes, the quantum findings, to the human body? And I know you, Henry, in, in, uh, in one of your books, I believe it's The Mindful Universe, you talk about the placebo effect as being uh, perhaps accounted for or illuminated by some of the findings of quantum theory. So, so what I want to emphasize here is that the reason why this is so important is that, as, as Henry is saying, is that you sort of start with this Newtonian model where you separate the machine from the mind, and then you work forward, and now you go through this quantum revolution in the early 20th century where people like Niels Bohr and Heisenberg and Schrodinger uh, all these all these great thinkers back then knew that there was some role that consciousness played and and today we have thousands of books on the topic but 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 it still is sort of i think the the consequences and the meaning of quantum theory is something that is still being developed it's a, it's an incredibly rich area 
and and so I so I want to emphasize the fact that that not only is this is this a deep and rich topic, but that we're but 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 that we are in the midst of what I would call a slow-moving revolution. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, we could say that there was a, re- a you know the quantum revolution, but biology textbooks don't don't talk about quantum theory, and and I think I frankly I think that modern science textbooks are are schizophrenic on the topic. Some people look for particles and 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 we have chemistry and then we have quantum theory and so so I view it as sort of an evolving you know a slow moving revolution. Um, so well, my book, in fact, my recent one uh, <clears throat> that you mentioned uh, uh, with the first title, uh, "The Mind's Like Universe." Let me just emphasize: I had an earlier book called "The Mind's Full Universe." The new title is the mind-like world, and the difference there is that the at the earlier stage of my thinking, I was indeed thinking of the fact that um, in addition to the material aspects, there was also uh, mindful aspects that had to be taken into account. But I think uh, uh, actually the situation is even more clear-cut than that. Uh, if you look at the physical parts, the parts that uh, you describe in physical terms, I think ultimately you have to agree that even those cannot be understood except uh, from the perspective that they are also essentially like mind, not like uh, anything material. So, right. um, the uh, And also I wanted to say that in this new book, my emphasis also uh, on this very point that you've just mentioned, uh, and that's the question of the impact upon uh, uh, the social fabric. Um, it, uh, our whole uh, social fabric is based today uh, pretty much on the materialist uh, conception that everything is uh, kind of lawful in the terms of uh, that our law should be somehow independent of uh, 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 influences from other things that uh, we should have laws that are independent of, of the people, so to speak, and uh, kind of absolute laws that uh, that uh, govern the mindful uh, parts of the universe rather than the other way, rather than the other way around. Whereas uh, if you once take the point of view that the ultimate character of the universe is, is mind-like, uh, it totally changes... Uh, your perspective, perspective that you have on on how you fit into the universe, and hence on your own choices and values. So, maybe I haven't said this too well, but the uh, the ultimate point is changing your ultimate conception of yourself and your relationship to uh, uh, the so-called physical universe about you uh, can have a very profound effect, I believe, on uh, the whole uh, social structure that we're embedded in and. Uh, and our choices as to how to proceed in in the creation of the future. Right, right, and that's and that that was re- that's that's really the theme of the show, if not the theme of this entire radio show, which which is that as we move to a mind-centered outlook or worldview, it brings in purpose and meaning and morality 
and it and it should change the social network because at the end of the day we're no longer part of a random impersonal machine but we're part of a holistic web maybe a web of life or something and and you start getting into these to these religious or eastern metaphors which which are helpful but i'm perfectly fine with going the logical methodical quantum theory kind of direction you know, for example, you mentioned the action at a distance issue, which which remains probably one of the most uh, sort of intriguing but bizarre experiments in science because it, in some ways does it, it's it sort of disrupts many of the main assumptions of science. You know, this 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 concept that two particles that are farther away. Uh, or any distance away can in some ways exchange information faster than the speed of life if, if not I'm light if not I guess instantaneously right that that's the action at a distance thing that, that Einstein had a hard time getting over but that clearly shows a a connection a a holism it's to me it's one little experiment but it's a powerful experiment because it's been tested so rigorously right I mean the the whole uh, that that theory has been tested as much as any other um, the scientific finding by was it Aspect and Bell uh, who 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 did the who did the experiment? Well, uh, Bell developed the theory, and uh, Aspect was the second person to do the experiment. Uh, actually, uh, John Clouse of Berkeley uh, really performed essentially almost. The same experiment, and uh, but in any case, it was certainly experimental evidence is overwhelming at the moment. There's no question that that these particular predictions of quantum theory are valid, and from those predictions, uh, you can conclude very, uh, and I think even much more strongly than Bell's theorem indicates, uh, that there must be uh, uh, something that you'd normally call fast and light action at a distance. Uh, let me, uh, uh, there seems to be one point I would like to emphasize to make things a little clearer, and that is that once you look at the formal laws of quantum mechanics, you actually find that the way the quantum rules are spelled out in, in mathematical detail requires an input uh, from the uh, observer. In other words, the observer has to make a choice uh, Bohr calls it the choice on the part of the experimenter. He has to make a choice of what probing action he's going to do. And that's the way that the, the theory is, is laid out. A choice of probing action has to be made by the observer, and the laws of quantum mechanics, the mechanical laws of quantum mechanics, do not determine what this choice is. Uh, now, these choices that we make of what to do feel like they're coming from a mental realm. And uh, the laws of quantum mechanics say that, in any case, they do not come from the known mechanical laws of, uh, of quantum mechanics. So you're left with this essential causal gap, There's a, a, an essential causal gap in the theory, what is the cause of these choices? And they do not come from the mechanical laws, the Schrodinger equation do not determine these choices. and uh, and they feel like they're coming from 
values and uh, impulses coming from deep within us. And uh, so that's the whole opening here. That's the whole, the essential point. There's a causal gap in the uh, theory that seems to be filled. We have a feeling that is filled uh, from the mental side. It comes from our values and feelings we have about, they determine uh, what are our reasons for wanting to do this experiment and not that experiment. They seem to come from a realm of meaning and values, and uh, they don't come from the Schrodinger equation. So that's the key point right there. You've got this causal gap, and it opens the door, you know, to a view that allows us to do things in the world, to cause, to have our mental intentions uh, fulfilled in a certain way, and that can be developed in a lot of detail, but that's the point. Yeah, and I think let me let me let me try to put this into 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 different words and see if I have this right. And so correct me if I get this wrong. Okay. One way to one way to put this is that if we assume naively perhaps that there is a let's call it a ball bearing sitting out there, a, a very small ball bearing, and we want and and we want to know that such a ball bearing has a certain position and is moving at a certain speed. Uh, when, when, when we look through the lens of quantum theory, we find that there is not actually a thing out there. And in fact, and in fact depending on which, which uh, interpretation you follow, using Schrodinger, you have something called a wave equation. But, but, it, but, deep, but what you will actually see depends upon the apparatus you set up and what you decide to look for, whether you're going to see a particle or a wave, right? It's, it's, it's something like that. Well, I, I would put it as something like that. Right. The point is that the, the theory describes what is out there in terms of a wave, which means something that's smeared out. In other words, the, 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 uh, it doesn't give a definite location to that ball bearing or marble or rock or whatever you're talking about. It's... It's a smeared out uh, set of possible places that it could be if you looked. And uh, so here it is. It's a smeared out uh, collection of possibilities before you do any observation. That's the way the theory is uh, developed now, what the theory says. And so, um, uh, so how does it develop a, a, a definite location? Well, according to the theory, in order for it to develop a definite location, uh, a probing action must be made. And uh, so the question then goes back, well, what are these probing actions, and uh, what determines what the probing action is? And uh, so I'm saying the same thing that you just said, uh, and adding to it, well, uh, the probing action uh, uh, in quantum theory is is what is called a free choice on the part of the experimenter, a choice of probing action, uh, not only the experimenter, but any observer. And, uh, and you ask, well, what is the cause of that? Uh, where does that originate? What's the cause of that choice being this, not that? Quantum theory per se, the mathematics does not give an answer to that, but the, uh, uh, the, 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 the felt answer is, well, it's somehow coming from values and uh, uh, things that are mental in character. And we, we feel that we're interested in knowing this. Is it there? Is it there? Uh, when you're doing an experiment, often you, there's a, uh, 
a pointer on a dial, and uh, the experiment, uh, 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 you measure something, and the, and the pointer will move to a certain place in the dial. Uh, according to quantum mechanics, uh, it, before you you actually uh, do the observation, the dial is a, in a smeared out uh, collection of possibilities for where it might be if you looked. And uh, so in order to make the theory make any prediction at all, you have to uh, understand and how does it <laughs> how does it devolve into a particular location? And uh, the way the theory itself works is that a choice has to be made, a discrete choice. Is it, for example, is the pointer uh, moved to the right or did it move to the left? I mean, a definite yes/no answer. Right. Or does the pointer lie between uh, pointer position ten and position eleven? I mean, some question like that. You've got to ask a definite question before you can get a, uh, any answer, and the source of that question is not the, 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 the what determines that question is not determined by the mechan mechanical uh, laws of motion. Right, right. Now, but here, here's a big question that, that I think there's a wide range of responses and that is first of all folks we are looking at the the most elementary particles in the beginning here the the original experiments in quantum theory w were with the electron right and were or with photons the particles of light or the wave particles of light and and using the theories and the experiments it was determined that consciousness or the, or the choices affect what you see or what you experience okay now with that sort of pretty austere uh, conclusion then you then you start moving down down the path and the question is well how much can you extrapolate from that in other words to what degree do we as conscious human beings direct control influence the outer world Be, you know so so i think yeah. you know i think henry that that that's that's really where there's a lot of a lot of books written some more speculative than others and some some heading into the new age genre uh, on the positive thinking front where where these these conclusions of quantum theory start being expanded how far are you comfortable expanding this this influence well, well choices. I'm, I'm not comfortable with the new age uh, right. stuff but uh, I think it's uh, the thing is much more definite than you have uh, indicated the point is uh, amongst the quantum rules are also the rules for how uh, several systems combine to make a new system and uh, so um, given the element given the uh, the uh, theory about how the electrons and the protons and the positrons uh, act and the photons, uh, you um, have a well-developed theory, uh, a very precise theory about how this pointer, the pointer is made up of a billions of, or billions and billions of these uh, small particles, but the theory is very well-defined, and uh, so you, from this elemental uh, idea of, uh, of maybe uncertainty in the electron, you you build up via the rules themselves via very well defined rules uh, 
what the pointer should be. And uh, so if you follow the rules, uh, you, it's not that you're just uh, somehow surmising that because it works for an electron, it works for a, a, a pointer. No, the, uh, the rules actually tell you that because the pointer is made up of all these uh, elementary particles, you have a theory for what's happening to the pointer. And the pointer itself will be smeared out. And uh, so it's not a matter of uh, somehow some uh, vague extrapolation from electrons to pointers. Uh, no, the theory itself uh, does that for you. So if you believe the theory, as it is uh, spelled out by quantum theorists itself, uh, this is not an extrapolation. This is uh, hard, hard theoretical physics. And uh, so you are faced with this problem and uh, and then the uh, but the theory also itself uh, answers that problem at this level it says that the that the and you know this is developed in a lot of detail uh, von neumann john von neumann has a a big chapter at the end of his 1932 book on the theory of measurements and uh, he develops all of these things I've just been talking about in details, moving up step by step. And uh, because quantum theory was originally formulated as a system of relationships between experiences, um, uh, the, uh, he is able to start with the, the full model, which has the experiences on the one hand and the elementary particles on the other hand, and also the uh, devices that are built up on the one hand, out of the elementary particle, but on the other hand, viewed by the uh, and uh, viewed by the observer, and hence related to the uh, experience. So, the point is, he has gone through all this, and and he's a mathematician, logician, um, one of the most rigorous-minded and uh, contributors to this subject, and uh, so it's not just uh, wishy-washy stuff. I mean, it's 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 just looking at what he has already shown, and you get these connections, and he pushes the, he develops the theory in such a way as you ultimately are able to isolate, as is done in, the, as ultimately uh, something very close to, to uh, Descartes' separation. He's able to push the mental part, which is an essential part of quantum theory, because, as I say, quantum theory is developed to be a relationship between Experiences, so it's in the theory. You've also got the physical part in the theory, and von Neumann develops the uh, mathematical relationship, and it finally comes down to not some sort of extrapolation uh, uh, or some guesswork. Uh, if you just follow that, those rules, uh, the the quantum um, uh, there has to be this physical choice of uh, the physical action of the body. And as what experiment is going to be performed. And on the other hand, you have um, uh, the fact that these actions are going to cause uh, the uh, physical system to evolve in certain ways, which are uh, observed by the observer. And uh, so when you follow through, it's, it's, it's not, and, and he has followed it through, and that's the point. If you just follow his logic, which is, I think, uh, impeccable, you um, you do come to this conclusion that the that the conscious observer his his conscious he makes a conscious choice 
we, we feel this conscious choice. It's part of uh, the mental universe that's uh, to be uh, explained, this relationship between our choices of what to do and what then appears. And uh, the theory is actually uh, solid at this point, and, uh, and, you, and it's just the way I described it. The choice um, uh, has an effect on the, essentially on the brain. Uh, von Neumann pushes this relationship between mind and physical matter up into the place where it is a relationship between mind and brain. And uh, so uh, you follow through the mathematics, and that's exactly what it is. The mind is able, in the theory, to make uh, choices which affect the uh, the the, uh, the brain, and uh, in such a way, and uh, you know, there's a lot of detail which I have filled out, and other people have filled out, that really explain how it is that these conscious choices are really able, understandably, and uh, to be understood as causing the choices as to uh, what action to perform. Uh, I can. There's a lot more detail that I just don't have time for yeah. here. But the, the, I think the important the thing. I think uh, first of all, a couple of clarifications, and then I'm going to ask you about a passage uh, in your in your book, uh, "The Mind Like Reality." First of all, uh, Henry has mentioned Descartes a couple times, and th those folks may understand or may know Descartes. He's the "I think, therefore I am" guy, but he also is the originator of, of dualism, which is this system of belief that separates mind from matter and, and puts them on two different planes such that the mind cannot affect matter. Now, Descartes is also a, a, a very rich topic in itself, but when we refer to Descartes dualism, he's sort of considered to be the originator of this separation of mind and matter, and that is the same separation that quantum theory says does not exist. Right now, now well, Heisenberg, uh, I should say, I'm mean, let me interject. Sure. You say that uh, Descartes himself said that they could not interact. Descartes did not say that. Newton uh, used Descartes' ideas and said there is. And just left the mind out, so it made it was his theory was completely about the matter part, and uh, uh, in such a way that mind never entered into his considerations. But Descartes himself uh, said that there was an interaction between the two. He developed, uh, as you say, there are two different things. On the one hand, there's mind, and on the other hand, there's matter. On the other hand, he did say that they interacted uh, in essentially inside the the brain. Of, uh, of uh, personal observers, so right, right, he right. allowed he had, it. Right, he had but some, the later people. Right, he yeah. had some. He had some. He had some part of the of the spinal cord or the brain or something that he thought it was connected, and it's it's sort the of penile gland. Right, 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 right. The penile gland. It's considered to be a very a very nice odd story in the modern era. But but my point simply is that Descartes is the is is considered to be one of the authors of dualism. Yes, he solved dualism, but the or in one way. But but the point is is that we we are we have been brought up in this mind has no influence on matter uh sort of system, even though we know through various experiences, um, some of for example, the whole paranormal 
area, the placebo effect, and uh, that that there seems to be a connection be between mind and matter. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that the quantum theory proves the paranormal, uh, nor am I saying that the quantum theory explains the placebo effect, although, I, although I'm not focused on that part of your book, I could see there being a, a support for the placebo effect in quantum theory. But, but, but really what we're talking about here and what's, what makes this such an important topic is that when you bring mind into matter, when you bring mind into the world, you start giving the mind a role. And, 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 and there's a passage in your, in your book that I'd like you to comment on, and I'm going to read it here. It's, and this is, this is read out of his, The Mind Like Reality. Belief in the power in the physical world of one's mental intentions is the rational basis of one's active involvement in the world. If a rational, science-minded person truly accepts the classical physics claim that his or her mental intentions are physically imp impotent side effects, then that person's effectiveness in the world is seriously jeopardized. And, and, and can you comment upon that a little bit? Henry, because I think that's uh, that's um, really the point. That's really the point that I'm trying to make here, is is that the classical uh, physics view sort of it, it restricts or conditions us not to not to believe we have an impact on the world. Yeah, I think that uh, I think it's obvious on the one hand, but uh, but maybe it's not obvious to everybody. But if you really believe. <laughs> This materialist view that uh, that that you're a robot, that you're a mechanical automaton, and that everything you, all of your actions were predetermined at the beginning of the universe, uh, which is what this materialist view uh, leads to, to, physical determinism. Uh, if you believe that, then uh, I think you are. Uh, it takes a little bit of the rug out from your deciding. I'm going to spend my life, you know, doing something I really think is important and improving the world. I mean, uh, there's somehow, if you're a logical thinker and you, you can't, I think, justify the idea that you're going to spend your life improving the world uh, if you also uh, rationally accept that uh, the world was, what, what the world is going to be was determined before you were born. And uh, it seems to me there's a logical contradiction there, and insofar as uh, a person wants to be logical, I think, uh, and claims he's logical, then I think uh, he is um, disempowered. He, he certainly, uh, I think there's an under, he's undermined his, 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 um, his action, or the, the foundation of his actions to improve the world or better place for himself or somebody else. Uh, well, well you know, because that's why, that's why I think, and, and sort of being a little on the radical side here, that's why I think even, even the, the leading materialists, and we sort of know who they are, and let me, let me I think, for example, Lisa Randall, uh, who's, who just is a, just says that's what it is. And, there, and, and there's many, many very smart people who are writing books who are materialists. But even, even the, the diehard materialists, they, I still think they believe that there's such a thing as aspiration, as willpower, as dreams, as trying to create, you know, 
a, a better uh, future for yourself and your family. We all have that striving. And, and, and so with, with this sort of quantum holistic integrated approach, the integration between mind and matter, now we have, it seems to me, we have a logical, rational basis to think like this. It's not just, we're not just humoring ourselves. Because I think that the, some, some materialists would say, oh, well, you know, it's all written in the stars. It's all in your genes. Uh, you can't control. You can't change yourself. You're going to, you know, just grow old and die and, and, and just be, you know, more, more dust in the ground. It's, it's really, it, 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 not only is it sort of a very depressing outlook, but, but it's, it's not consistent with, with this whole uh, message that quantum theory is telling that at the base of reality, at the base of reality, which makes up everything on top of it, there is an influence of, of mind, or there's a connection bet between mind and matter. See, to me, that is, that's, that's the powerful message that I think anybody could get something out of. Well, I think there is a powerful message. These people who are materialists, I mean, maybe Lisa Randall or Dennett or somebody like this, um, and a lot of neuroscientists, um, the point is, in order to go along with a materialist point of view, that means that uh, these your intentions, your your feeling of wanting to do something, are them are created by something physical that your brain is creating. Your physically controlled brain is creating the uh, the mental intention. So it's not really that there's anything coming from the mental world. It's all just ground up physically. So that leaves this mental intention that quantum theory actually allows out. Uh, there's in the, the structure of quantum theory, as it is uh, developed by von Neumann, uh, has this gap in it. It has a causal gap in it. There's no place in the causal uh, description, the quantum mechanical description, for what is causing this choice to be what it is. And yet that choice um, has to occur in order for uh, the later uh, conscious experiences to appear. So Lisa Randall, I'm not sure if, uh, exactly what she says, but in any case, these materialists uh, do not say that there is something coming in from the outside. They say, no, it's all determined purely mechanical, and, uh, and that means that uh, the whole thing was spelled out, and, and they, the word that they use is your idea that you're causing it is an illusion the illusion of conscious will. And uh, so the point is, uh, they have to say it's an illusion, but quantum theory does have this gap in it. And uh, so it's not consistent, really, with quantum theory for them to say that it is determined because there's nothing in the quantum laws that do determine what the choice will be. The choice is something that's still free uh, if you look at the quantum laws. So... Uh, uh, so it's not as if these people who are both claim to be materialists and quantum theorists uh, have a consistent position. Uh, I mean, the uh, you know, if there's freedom, uh, and I, my claim is, and I think it's very clear, that quantum theory has an element, has a causal gap, has an element of freedom that allows things to come in from outside the purely physically determined world, and in fact requires it because these choices are just simply not determined by the Schrodinger equation. So in other words, the, the math, 
the equation doesn't do anything on its own. It just sits there. The, it take, well, the equation is supposed to be evolved, determining the flow of physical events, right? I mean, it, it determines, it, it gives you a, a causal, uh, it controls the uh, causal evolution of the system. And the question is, does the, do the quantum laws, certainly the, the classical laws, did just that. You know, they, you start out, you're given what it is at the beginning, and everything else unfolds in a completely determined mathematical way. Uh, quantum theory does not have that property. It, uh, so it's not uh, deterministic in that sense. There are causal gaps that I've been emphasizing. Right. And uh, so if you're a quantum theorist, consistent quantum theorist, uh, you have to recognize that these, that these choices that are required in order for the theory to evolve, and uh, these so-called, they come into the, um, empirically they come in, Whenever you make a choice to do something to uh, to examine the physical world in, in some way, uh, there are this there there does exist this causal gap, and uh, and uh, the causal gap seems as if and is completely consistent to say that it does in fact come from a mental realm that's uh, that's not controlled by the physical. So, 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 just let's let's put this in, in in very basic language here, just 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 to be as clear as possible. What you're saying is that that nothing happens with these with the equation. The equation doesn't doesn't solve itself. You can't just say, well, what's what is the world uh, uh, made out of? And you show someone an equation. What you're saying is that there 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 there's a, a gap in the equation, and therefore it takes a conscious choice to make something happen? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, equations just uh, in physics, the equations, the equations of motion, uh, some, on the one hand, there is the so-called uh, physical description. That's uh, a certain mathematical description of the state of the system you're observing or of the universe, ultimately, which is described... Uh, for example, a generalization of saying that each particle uh, is at, in classical mechanics, you say each particle is located at a certain position, has a certain velocity. Those are the initial physical conditions, and uh, then the equations uh, tell you uh, how that's going to change as you move, as you change time. So you, the equations of motion uh, determine the evolution of the physical system over the course of time. So, uh, in quantum mechanics, uh, you uh, you find that the that the equations of motion, uh, essentially, which uh, determine another way of saying it is you have a Schrodinger equation of motion, which does the same thing. It 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 determines the evolution in time of the physical system. Uh, what you find, though, is that in order to account for quantum phenomena. The quantum theorists say, well, there has to be this choice of, of what you're going to observe. And the Schrodinger equation does not determine that choice. So, uh, and uh, it's completely, it seems to be, and it's completely consistent to say that there is, uh, that this choice is coming from uh, what Descartes would call the mental realm. There's another realm of stuff that is... Uh, talks about pain and color, and these things are called qualia. They have certain 
the qualitative experience that they're not the physical aspect of the universe is described by ascri- by ascribing mathematical properties to space-time points. So it's it's a mathematical description. You say that there's a space-time laid out there, uh, and you assign mathematical properties uh, to each of the points, and uh, then the Schrodinger equation uh, or some generalization of it, uh, the quantum field theory, for example, tells you how this whole structure evolves in the course of time, and uh, and you find that 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 does not determine what's going to happen in, in quantum theory. Uh, it does not explain your experiences. So it just gives you this, this smear of things. Right. So, so where do you think this is all leading? Where do you think? I mean, here we are. We're we're nearing. You know, maybe we're there. I'm not sure what the what the uh, hundred year anniversary of quantum theory is, but maybe we've already passed it. But we're we're in a new century. We've had a an, uh, an entire century of study interpretation thinking on quantum theory where do you think it's heading where do you what do you, do you think we're going to see a a uh, a more of a integration of quantum theory with uh, with the other sciences do you see there being a gradual integration of mind uh, into science uh, what do you think's going to happen here well i think exactly that's what is going to happen i think that uh that quantum theory has the capacity. And so just starting from scientific ideas and not bring any preconceived ideas coming from religion or anything like this, just starting with the precepts of science as they were understood by the founders of quantum theory, that really science is about knowledge, that brings in already mind into the picture in some way. So now we have mind in the picture. It didn't it, it was developed, it was introduced very specifically at that point. And, uh, and uh, certainly this book that I am, the books that I have written and this one that I'm just completing now even more specifically, I think argues just starting from scientific precepts alone that you have to conceive the world as being essentially mind-like in its character. And uh, now once you've made that once you've grasped that essential point, and I think ultimately that point has got to be grasped by everybody because it, I think it's really uh, solidly established, and it is not established by coming from a religious or bringing any, anything from outside science, but just starting from science that was understood by the founders of quantum theory. And by the way, uh, sometimes you hear people say, well, these early founders of quantum theory... Uh, thought these things and uh, that we now understand better, that we don't really need mind at all, uh, and um, that we've come to terms with the idea that it's all mechanical, but that is absolutely not true. And in fact, uh, a number of articles just appearing in Nature and uh, some of the most prestigious journals are all about this question of, uh, of is the wave function uh, how is the wave function related to our minds? And so that's not a closed question at all. This question of how mind enters in, although some people might think that it was somehow evaded, uh, is certainly not evaded by the people who think about these things most uh, intensely. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a very open question, 
and uh, I, uh, I'm convinced myself uh, that uh, that the answer will be and has to be that uh, that ultimately you can only understand quantum theory uh, by ad- admitting the thing has got to be fundamentally of a mind-like character. And uh, so once you've gotten to that point, uh, and by the way, you have mentioned paranormal phenomena. In this book of mine, I never mentioned paranormal phenomena or anything like this. I'm just talking about the ordinary, well-established predictions of quantum theory that everybody uh, have been performed multiple times and there's no question about in the minds of scientists. Right, right. Uh, well, I mean, that, those, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I think, yeah, go ahead. yeah, I was going to say that two points. Number one, you're exactly right. And I mean, you do mention the placebo effect and, and I'm not uh, sitting here th- saying that uh, quantum theory uh, ipso facto proves the paranormal. But the point I will make is that one of the great flaws, and I think it's one of the critical flaws of materialism, is that it turns a blind eye to the paranormal. And at least when you, at least quantum theory, now you have, now you have a sign of hope. Uh, because, for, ex- for example, Dean Radin, um, his, his most recent book is called Entangle Minds. And this guy is a very, very good researcher, and he's as good of a scientist as anybody working in a physics in a, in a physics department somewhere. The guy's a scientist, and he uses data. He does tests, and he makes objective conclusions and findings. And you know, he uses the action at a distance as sort of perhaps an explanation for for uh, for telepathy and etc. And you know, I think it's sort of a stretch. But on the other hand. The other hand, we are never going to have a broader mind-infused worldview unless we can explain the paranormal, unless we explain why people have spiritual beliefs, why there is religion. I mean, it's, I think that it, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with the step-by-step logical approach, data, testing, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I think that's a great flaw of materialism. It's a whole other topic. But but it's it just I I think the walls are crumbling a little bit. Um, and, well, and and we're okay. Well, see let me put my spin on that same thing. Uh, I um, uh, first uh, the argument that I give in this most recent book uh, does not bring in paranormal, does not bring in uh, any sort of religious ideas. Just just starts from what I say a solid von Neumann right. understood quantum mechanics and concludes. Uh, in the way that I have been describing. Uh, on the other hand, I'm certainly interested in paranormal, and uh, I, I do not think that it uh, should be just dismissed by uh, scientists or physicists uh, as uh, as nonsense. And, I mean, you know, Dean Radin is, is a good friend of mine, and, in fact, I have been promoting efforts to have, you know, some of our major universities perform in particular I won't go into the details of this experiment it's a version of a double slit experiment that seems to be influenced by the uh, uh, intentions of of uh, of observers who have experience in meditating so um, so it sounds totally crazy and uh, but on the other hand as you say he's a good experimenter so Obviously, it should be performed by lots of other laboratories and uh, and see how it turns out. Uh, 
So I'm completely in agreement that, uh, and if it turns out the way he says, then it certainly adds a lot more fuel to this fire of, hey, there's really, this is pretty dramatic because the experiments that he is talking about essentially have to do with uh, modifying the uh, interference effects in the most famous, probably, of the of the uh, quantum experiments, the double slit experiment. You know, a double slit experiment, for those, I'm sure most people know something about it, so you see a certain interference pattern coming from the, from the interference of the light coming from the two slits. According to, to Radin's experiment, uh, meditators, experienced meditators, and it seems that the that the effect is gets stronger the <laughs> more <laughs> meditation experience they've had. So so this is uh, they can destroy it. Well, I mean, if something like that occurs, that's fantastic. But you know, it's got to be reproduced in uh, a lot of other laboratories before people are going to everybody's going to be taking it seriously. If so, I'm complete in agreement that if things like that should turn out, that's a whole new ball game, and it's, it certainly amplifies it greatly, but uh, in no way uh, undermines it, uh, but they're both moving in the same direction. It seems to me that we're saying the same thing. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's the, world is, the world is an idea, yes. and ultimately, you say, what, wh- whose idea? And kind of the only answer you makes any sense somehow is somehow, I hate to say it, but an idea in the mind of God. I mean, that seems to be what you're, you know, Already Newton was troubled, you know, I mean, how does the world begin, you know, and so he had uh, himself appealed to uh, God the Creator, I mean, he set it in motion, and then, and even for Newton, he didn't completely step aside, uh, he was kind of there, kind of fiddling with things a little bit, but the uh, the later uh, materialists uh, threw all sorts of battle things out in terms of a purely mechanical physical yeah, well, well that 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 that's exactly that's exactly what I, what I think is the case and and Berkeley Berkeley said that very clearly um that when when he when he was asked um or when he addressed the question of of what is the ultimate substrate of the world he's mm-hmm. you know he said that uh that the the choir of heaven and all the all the all the great features of the world have their source in in the mind of God, and mm-hmm. and that's very that's put in different ways. That's what Hinduism is and Eastern religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and the problem is is that we spirituality has such a bad name in the scientific yeah. circles that to right. go there, people think that you're practicing some kind of new age mumbo jumbo. And mm-hmm. so and so, it's got to be done very slowly and very methodically, and exactly. sort of step You're by step. Absolutely right. And that's why I don't step. use yeah. the word God or the mind yeah. of God. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, uh, that's somehow where it's got to lead, as far as I can see. Yeah. Well, the other thing that that's really remarkable to me is that so many science books play off of the same themes, but then when you open up the book, it, that's not really what they say. I mean. For example, I like Paul Davies a lot. I mean, he's got the one mm-hmm. book called The Mind of God. Yeah. And he's got mm-hmm. the other book, God and the New Physics. And, right. and there's so many and there's so many books like that because it seems to me that that's where the modern thought wants to go. We want mm-hmm. to, you know, we want to have this big 
grand explanation, and we know mm-hmm. that we have to find a room for God in it mm-hmm. because it, because you, because as I say, despite how you want to criticize God, it, it's a hard thought to get out of your mind. For some reason, for some reason, we all were born with this thought, and we deal with it some way, uh, and and so. And so it really is a very slow process, but but people like you and and um, Fred Allen Wolf and Bruce Rosenblum, I think I think the the numbers are increasing, where we have credible, well-credentialed scientists saying that there is a way, there is a way to explain this. There is a way to be scientific, rational, and still and still have a a God or a unity or mind in the picture. Uh, and I think that's what's really exciting about what, what we're seeing happening out there. Yeah. The, the, uh, as you say, it's going to be a slow process. And, and uh, what I try to do in my book that I don't think others have done so well is to absolutely stay as the starting point just science per se, right. because once once you kind of build into the starting point a little bit of religious ideas in mind of even vaguely in mind of God, you are um, it it turns into a, uh, the argument into a into a vicious circle, and uh, so the scientists can throw the whole thing out right. because uh, they don't believe this particular premise that you put in, which somehow prejudices the whole structure, and therefore it seems to me it's essential to start with something that doesn't bring in that idea whatsoever, and and if from just the pure science itself, you can then get the conclusion that the thing is mind-like, then of course you're in a much better logical position to argue with scientists, because you haven't brought in a religious premise to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's good, and you know, I just it brings us to a close. Uh, I I like to first thank you for your time. I mean, we we covered a very difficult area here, but what I really wanted the listeners to to hear about is is somebody of Henry Stapp's stature and background, um, having worked with Wolfgang Pauli and Werner Heisenberg, two of the founders of quantum theory that this is not some kind of unusual spin on quantum theory. This is where the thinking and data goes. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Mirton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 